the hellish, unimaginable hardship I will face in Antarctica is the means, not the purpose, for why I must go on this journey. What I ultimately seek is transcendence. This is about more than just me. I go to find the human soul. So let me just uh, do a formal introduction. So I'm going to ask first um, a dear friend of mine, amazing human. I won't say anything personal. I'll just give the professional background. Dr. Shri Ang is um, a former trauma surgeon. Uh, she is one of the top plastic surgeons uh, in the world. Uh, her specialty is vaginal plastic surgery, but she's also an integrative doc that does peptides, exosomes, ozones, keeps people healthy, uh, has a real expertise in speed healing. And I thought it'd be really interesting to, uh, I, I said, I'd like you to do this interview with me with Akshay because I'd like to get a doctor's perspective of what is actually going on uh, in the physical realm. So please give it up for Dr. Shri Ang. And then I'm going to interview, I'll just, uh, I'm going to introduce Akshay. So uh, Akshay uh, Navadi has, um, I never say his last name right. I was just like saying <laughs> Akshay. Okay, so just suffice to that. Difficult. It took, it took me like a month to get that one right. He's overcome drug addiction, PTSD from fighting in, in Iraq with the Marines, depression and alcoholism that pushed him to the brink of suicide. Since then, he's built a global business, run ultra marathons, spent 10 days in darkness, and explored the most hostile environments on the planet, from mountains to underwater caves to polar ice caps, despite four biological defects, including a blood disorder that two doctors told him would kill him in boot camp. He is now a sponsored athlete and is currently training for a 110-day, 1,700-mile solo, never-before-accomplished crossing of Antarctica. Combining his life experience with years of research in science and spirituality, he wrote the amazing book, Firvana, right here, about which the Dalai Lama said, Firvana inspires us to look beyond our own agonizing experiences and find the positive side of our lives. All the profits from the book are going towards charity. Akshay is now on a mission to help our human family uh, fall in love with suffering in order to create a life of greater meaning, purpose, joy, and fulfillment. Please give it up for Akshay. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. You know what? We've done this before, but this is going to be uh, the day before and left for the Arctic and the day I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. Well, so, got you. Okay, so you just you just got back from some training. Give us a, a bit of a flyover of what the last few weeks of your life have been like. I've been up in the Arctic in uh, northern Norway in a place called Svalbard for the last two months on. It was supposed to be four, but ended up being three separate expeditions, totally about 30 days on expedition, and then also filming a little bit for the documentary. And then, because one of my expeditions got canceled, just hanging out, doing cold river dips like the video I sent you, and exploring ice caves and various adventures. But it was three polar expeditions as training for Antarctica in preparation for this. So this is my final time on ice before I go to Antarctica this October. Well, so me and Cherie have uh, prepared some uh, questions for you using AI. Uh, I'm kidding. We haven't. Well, this is, just our own, we're, this is going to be totally off the cuff because I've interviewed you before. Uh, you've actually visited Cherie when you needed some uh, recommendations on having your uh, fingers amputated. Mm -hmm. uh, how many fingers have you had? Uh, 
I've gotten one finger amputated so far, and I'm prophylactically removing this one uh, in two weeks because this one was also frostbitten. I didn't lose it, but uh, when I was in the Arctic, it got to minus 37 and below, so it was giving me a lot of trouble in the cold. So because I think it'll be a huge liability in Antarctica, I've decided to prophylactically have that tip removed. Okay. How many fingers and toes does one need to have removed before you're like, uh, screw this nonsense? <laughs> well, I got eight more after this, so I feel like I'm golden, you know? <laughs> For many more Antarctic trips after this. Yeah. yeah. So you know the video that we saw previously. Uh, how would how do you, your company's Fearvana? I mean, you certainly. Uh, I don't. I've never met another human that puts themselves in sort of the situations that you do, and it's it's quite fascinating. And the uh, conversations we've had before, including in this room, have blown people away, and gotten some some great insights. So we can leave some time for some Q and A for all of you after. Uh, we go through some perspective on it. How would you define fear? Like what is, what is physical fear first and then what is mental fear? So ultimately, it's the brain's evolutionary response in response to risk. Now, the risk doesn't have to be actual in the sense that there's a lion attacking me. It can be perceived risk as well. And so the brain responds to that risk. And there's a visceral response, especially when the fear is amplified. So, you know, heart rate increase, sweat, sweat palms, sweaty palms, things like that. But it's a mental response. And an intense fear, you know, they call it the fight or flight, although it's a little bit more complex than that. But you're, the amygdala, your quote-unquote fear center of the brain, and hijacks the brain, which is why it shuts down the prefrontal cortex, your, like what I refer to in fear of honor as the human brain, and you're in this heightened state to respond to this risk. So it's, it's an emotion that has been demonized extensively. Everybody hears the word fear and thinks of it as bad, but it is a necessary evolutionary response in order to keep us alive, but also, as I said in there, as a compass to direct us to things that, you know, Joseph Campbell said, the, the cave you fear to seek is the holes the treasures the cave you fear holds the treasures you yeah, seek. Yeah, cave you fear to enter holds the treasures that's that you right. seek. That's right, exactly. Thank I you. like when I can sound like I'm smart. <laughs> <on the kidding. laughs> Thank yeah. you for clarifying. Exactly, that's the one. Uh, and so everything I do is absolutely terrifying. Antarctica scares the living hell out of me. Uh, but So I use it as a compass, and I don't think it's bad. And the essence of fear of Anna is to combat that demonization of fear and to show that fear is not the antithesis of nirvana. It can be an access point to it. So, and this is going to sound totally weird, but we've. why would something like for some people, asking someone out on a date be more scary and threatening than, say, crossing the Antarctica. <laughs> so that was my case. I was more terrified doing that, terrified doing that than Antarctica. So in that context, because your brain develops comfort zones even in discomfort. So for me, even while writing this book, for example, I would procrastinate by going running a marathon. Now, running a marathon, I would still suffer, but that was my comfort zone of suffering, yeah. right? I play in that arena. So, but doing that thing, or in this case, like asking this girl out or writing was my, was very new. So the more more you play in the arena, the more you develop a comfort for it. So going in that cold water, for example, there's no fear. Because right. I play in that space, right? Mm -hmm. the, in, the, in this space, there was a lot more fear. So it's where you develop that. And it doesn't mean it's still not scary. Like Antarctica still scares me because I know how brutal that journey is. But you can develop your, your zone of what becomes normal, comfortable, your wheelhouse can, is we, all, we each have that in different arenas. And that's mm -hmm. why, for me, you know, that seemingly normal thing is far more terrifying than going to doing the other crazy shit that I do uh, in many other arenas. No, ex exactly. So, so uh, Dr. Ong, how about I refer to you as Dr. Ong? 
what is going on in the body uh, when someone is going through experiences like this, what he's putting himself through? How, I mean, I know that may be hard to describe, but if you could, I'd... So I think one of the key words that comes to mind when you speak about that, you, you know, what's the difference between asking a girl out on a date versus doing this amazing, like, out-of-the-world kind of thought idea is adaptation. And I think that I would love to hear your kind of idea of how you are preparing for this because I believe that in medicine we talk about adaptation of the cell. The human body is constantly adapting to the stresses that we have every single day and our immune system is adapting to the virus that you had and we are changing constantly and we had discussed prior to this was also like muscle memory. So if you are constantly adapting and how you're preparing for this then that doesn't seem so bad because your body is kind of changing to that. So I believe that a lot of the things he's doing in his mind and his body is adapting physically and mentally to his mission, but from a cellular level, what's happening in his cells and everything, everything is working towards the adaptation. So I would love to hear your, your perspective, since all of us are business owners, we're facing stress and adapting to the changes every day and making decisions that we're super uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you see what you're doing um, translating to business owners and everyday decisions? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, ultimately, right, everybody's on their own hero's journey in multiple contexts, but I believe the ultimate journey that we're all on, whether we are consciously pursuing it or not, is that journey within, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the, self, the need for self-actualization. Whether or not we're consciously seeking it, we are on that. Mm -hmm. And so what draws me to that is that arena is playing on that space, the spiritual space of that self-actualization. But pushing the envelope in the spiritual realm, in the mental realm, and you push it in the business realm, in every realm, the further you're expanding that edge, the further you're creating, because stressors create the adaptation response to your point, but you're further exploring new avenues into, in the places, in the realm I'm playing into, into the human soul. And the, the further you go, the more you are opening up. And that's a big reason why I go and why I'm pushing that edge. And so whether you're not a business owner or whatever realm you're playing in, like find places, you know, the more you, you know, as I was saying last time, the more you explore the edge of suffering, the greater you'll find salvation of the soul. So seek out suffering in multiple contexts, not just this is okay, I'm going to grow in business. Seek out suffering of the spirit. We were talking earlier about the, the darkness retreat. You know, put yourself in places that are going to, force you to open new doors within yourself that you haven't opened before. And it's horribly uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's the value and that's the hero's journey. That's where you're going to tap into something you've never found. And so I play in that by doing it. I mean, by preparing for this is tire dragging, as you saw. That's a big one. That's the physical realm. But spending 10 days in darkness, doing what I just did, the last expedition I did, I spent 10 days completely alone in the Arctic, completely alone, you know, and I maybe saw five people the whole time. And you're just in this barren white landscape. And as we were saying earlier, when you're in silence, you really start to hear. And so wherever we are in our journey, taking that space for it. You know, Carl Jung said people will do anything no matter how absurd to avoid facing their own soul. And we do everything we can to distract ourselves from ourselves. Even sometimes the positive things. Like when I came back from Iraq, you know, before I started struggling with drinking, I was doing positive things to distract myself, like going to Greenland, running marathons, uh, working on my business. But ultimately, I was just distracting myself from myself Yes. until I took that time for stillness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that stillness is the key to find that evolution of the soul in a way that you haven't found before. So I spent a lot of time doing that, being alone mm -hmm. and hearing what I believe to be the, the, the voice of God and tapping into intuition, tapping into the sounds of nature, tapping into something that you don't get in the 
realm of distraction that we all find you know ourselves in. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you discussed is like you went, you just did 10 days. And you didn't just go from no, you don't need to play 10. Hand. You, you, you kind of, you created yeah, a series. Yeah, we had half of that. Maybe you started with one day and then five days. Seven like, days first and then seven days after. and ten days. Yeah. Okay. But I even doing the seven day darkness retreat, I had done a lot of hard stuff before yes. that, you know, uh, uh, to light, build myself like running the the marathons and, and keep pushing that edge. Antarctica is kind of the encapsulation of, I mean, it'll not only be the first time we've approximately, it'll be not the longest dance. any human being has spent solo in the polar regions. And geographically, I'll be the most isolated human and being on the you have to manage your time here so you're literally your a show, level okay? of isolation and solitude that is unmatched. And although there's definitely a bit of nerves, uh, I am very excited to see what I hey, Mark T. Moliti, mute your mics. Yeah, you're doing 110 days solo, no other human being, and a temperature of 40, minus 40 to minus 80 degrees. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. It like, is. What, what, like, so what, what does the body, uh, uh, what, what, Dr. Ong? And by the way, thanks for supporting the Genius Network shirt. She doesn't care. She's good. Yeah. So, uh, with, uh, what, what is this? How does one prepare themselves physically for something like this? Because there's not like a book written on. Here's for the people that are going to cross the Antarctica for 110 days by themselves, dragging a 400-pound sled, wearing the same pair of underwear and clothes for the entire 110 days. And uh, maybe the freezingness will keep the odor down. But there's going to be, I mean, you're putting yourself in incre incredibly crazy. So, so what... How does one prepare? Well, the book is going to be written in uh, December 2023. <laughs> so yeah. after it's done, I think a lot of it is. Uh, I mean, so much of it. You know, how much of it? Well, I'm going to ask actually because he's preparing for it too. But I believe so much of it is mental. And if you think about 100 percent, you know, what do you think is the percentage of mental preparation versus physical? Yeah. I think 80%, I would say, is mental. Like, physically, I do, obviously, I'm training, tire dragging, a lot of hiking. I'm constantly working on getting fat. Like, I lost about 10 pounds in the Arctic, so I'm 162 now. I was 174, something like that, uh, before I left. So, before I go to Antarctica, I want to get to 180, putting on more muscle fat. Because even I'll be eating 6,500 calories a day, but I'll be burning 8 to 10,000. So, even at 6,500, I'll be calorically deprived. And then the question is, why not take more of it? Because I'm dragging all the food myself in my sled. So, I have to kind of find that right balance of how much to take so physically obviously doing that but the mental challenge when you were skiing for so about the 12 hours a day you were skiing in empty white nothingness so there's no stimuli so your mind starts to wander and that is the most daunting aspect of it because you i ski in 75 minute shifts and you can have some shifts where that 75 minutes feels like a lifetime you're just waiting for that shift and you're just your mind is you're, you're in pain physically sometimes you're that that stillness of mind you have to deal with so, yeah, it's also beautiful because your mind will you'll have that dialogue with yourself that you don't get to have otherwise but it is extremely challenging to deal with that level of stillness of mind because as we were talking about you know like unlike let's say climbing Everest or climbing a mountain environment forces you into if I'm climbing a mountain and there's a thousand foot drop on each side the environment keeps you focused your mind focused there and even as you're climbing up and down the mountain the, the terrain changes in polar exploration every day you're doing the same thing in flat 
black and white nothingness. So your mind has the space to wander, which is beautiful, but also very, very challenging. So that stillness of mind I'm uh, uh, cultivating through experiences yeah. like the darkness retreat, through day meditations, how, like, through even like, when I'm tire dragging. Market, but that's yeah, the most that challenging part is just dealing with that because yeah. your mind can go it's not, crazy. I don't know. Like, it's not like yeah, so I think, first of all, mental is so important. But I think from a cellular level, like that, the body is going to strain its amount of physical like, activity and, and stress. So exactly like and the big thing in terms of preparation is really making sure, that. number one, recovery. He want to deal so with really it. making sure he's you're going it. on to the starting line with yeah. the least, so like the best prepared you can be. So I think a lot of the things of detoxification, nutrition, and really getting the body so that it can utilize oxygen delivery as efficient as it can be possible. So I think one of the things that actually is doing right now is really getting his body, not just mentally, but physically, um, as clean as possible. So we're not operating at 100% when we're starting at the finish line and what we can do to really recover at the highest level. And then, you know, allowing himself to really go 110 days at that high level. One of the so first constantly giving the body that. They went there, so like, uh, you know, the first to frame this from the perspective of everyone that is sitting here or watching this or listening to this and framing it from so Humans have their own fears. Like, they, let's go back uh, to the Joseph Campbell saying, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. So if you think of what is your yeah, version of the cave that you fear high, to enter, and what is the treasure that you're seeking, because people will do almost anything to avoid doing the things to get to the things that they want the most, myself included. I mean, you know, I... You know, I'm littered with certain levels of, of fear, and I used to bull my, bullshit myself all the time thinking, you know, I could overcome it or hype myself up in a certain way, and I, I look at different layers of fear. I was um, sitting with uh, my friend Peter Thomas and then Ken Wells, who's a therapist who's 71 years old, Peter's 85 years old, this is two days ago, and we were having a conversation because Peter's coordinating an event that he wants to bring Ken to, with uh, two billionaires, a Navy SEAL, very successful, wealthy people that on every measure have all the money that you would ever need and lifetimes more. Um, but talking about what could you have a conversation with about success with these people and the whole conversation came down to like fear. You know, what do you, what do you want in your life? What are you afraid of? And I made this comment, I said, you know, I think I, I, I said, Ken, I think I first heard this from you that the only healthy form of fear is concern, right? But then I just heard you say, you know, you're framing a fear. And of course, I love your perspective of fear and I love your perspective of, of suffering because you reframe a lot of it. And, and I have often said, uh, do something every day that scares you because I heard that uh, early on in my life and it gave me sort of a reason to face things that were difficult. And I will always preface it by saying that doesn't mean running out in front of traffic. That's just stupid, right? However, a lot of people would look at what you're doing and say, that's not only stupid, that's fucking insane. That's crazy. You're literally putting yourself in a situation where there is a very high likelihood you will die uh, and you're doing it anyway. And so uh, I've also sat back and said, it's not my life though, right? If someone wants to do their life, let them do their life. You know, if you're hurting other people, if you're, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. But the thing is, so to go to fear, what is the cave that you fear to enter? What is the treasure from your perspective that you're seeking? Uh, is it 
God? Is it spiritual? Is it is it something for you? Is it something for humanity? What's the best way you could articulate what it is that you're looking for? for or whatever's looking for you. Because yeah. you might not be looking for something. It might be looking for you and because that's what a calling yeah, is. Yeah. You know, collectively through doing all these journeys, the thing I'm now looking for is much more abstract than concrete. So it is, one could refer to it as an enlightenment. It's a finding a light, tapping into areas of the human soul that haven't been explored and then bringing that wisdom back from the edge because I get to play and I get to. It is a privilege that I get to go to Antarctica. Everybody in here in this room, I get to choose my own suffering. Many people in the world, as we know, don't have that. So I get to go to places that many, many people don't get to go. And as a result, I believe I have a responsibility. You know, when I was in Iraq, my vehicle drove over an active bomb that for some reason didn't explode. My friend who you all saw up there, he drove over an active bomb and it did explode, and he was killed. And that's always plays me. Every time I'm on the ice, it lives with me, it plays with me. And to me, I owe a debt for this life I've been gifted, and I have to pay that debt. And how I pay that debt is by playing so far out on the edges of suffering, of stillness, of isolation, and bringing that wisdom back from the edge to then help others navigate the, the existential burdens we all face in this human adventure. Uh, so what I'm seeking, and that's no, and the, the, the beautiful part about that is that there's no end to that, right? There's, you don't arrive until death, right? There's always more to seek. So every new journey is pushing a new edge, but it's also a, um, a line I have to be careful of because if you push so far, like many people, outdoor sports people, they die doing what they do, right? So I'm always looking, and we talked a little bit about this last time, is playing on the duality. So when I push one edge, I'm also playing on others, like, Meeting a girl is a different kind of edge. Writing a book, building a business is a different kind of edge, you know? So exploring edges on different categories and dif in different aspects on all the series of dualities that exist in the human experience and bringing that wisdom back from the edge. Mm -hmm. But every time I go, I mean, I don't know what I'll find in Antarctica. I don't know who I'll become, right? Because how can you when you're pushing so far out there? But every time I go, even on this 10-day journey, I get these what I call spiritual downloads that hit me uh, like I did in the Arctic. And then... It's my one. It's a beautifully, obviously, personally, I get so much from that that fulfillment of that spiritual journey. But then bring it back and help others use that in their own arena. But ultimately, everybody has to, of course, like you can't. Or who was it, Jim Rohn? You can't make somebody do your push-ups. You can't hire to do somebody your push-ups for you, right? right? So you can provide a, 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 like a lighthouse, a guidance. But everybody's got to step into the arena. Everybody's got to go to that space that. It, and that's what we were talking about, and kind of talking about this. Like it, we're, we're we're wired to kind of look for the easiest, quickest way out of the pain. And what, what I want to do with Fearvana is have people not stop doing that and actually seek out the pain, seek out the suffering, embrace the suffering, like dance with that darkness, you know, and chase the fear. And that's where you all find the rewards. And what I can do is maybe just help provide a pathway to the door, but everybody's got to walk through it. Yeah, yeah. So what irks the hell out of you when you hear people that will create excuses for why they're not able to get to where they want to go. And, and I'm saying this really from the lens of learned, helpless, learned helplessness. You know, I, I'm sure most people know the concept of learned helplessness. And I mean, I think we are living in a world right now where media and, and influence and propaganda is actually in very subtle and devious ways training people to be helpless, entitled, blaming other people, manipulated, uh, and, and that's happening from the external. 
when people do it to themselves, that's a whole nother level of self-propaganda, self-manipulation, right? Yeah. So what, like what, because the interesting thing about you is you endure and have endured and deal with some of the most difficult physical challenges, but you, I mean, I've never seen you like lose your shit, although you've talked about like going crazy, right? You've talked about the beast. I mean, you know, I'd love to see how you contain the intensity of this and how you also have accept, acceptance and grace and appreciation and gratitude and kindness and love because I see you demonstrate that continuously uh, and that's layered on a lot of PTSD. On a lot, I mean, you've witnessed an enormous amount of death and violence in your life. So, uh, so a couple of things. What the hell irks you where you're like, really shut the hell up and, you know, just step up to the plate. And the other side, you know, let me help you here. Because, I mean, you, I think you're a mix of, like, freaking the hardest, you know, military, you know, sergeant and gentle coach at the same time. It's yeah. a very, you're an, a very interesting character. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, I think it's, you have to find that fine line between enabling somebody versus supporting them. And I've flirted with that line with, uh, like, my ex-wife who went through a whole crazy situation, and it was enabling, and I was, I was making my own mistakes in that way. I was enabling as opposed to, you have to go through the suffering yourself to, to grow from it, right? And it's a hard thing when you're helping other people do that, especially when they're very, very, very close to you, right? right? So I think you... You have to, um, rec I mean, rock bottom is relative to everybody, but there's value in rock bottom, you know? So there's value in seeking out and, and helping people suffer. And I see that parents, in my, in my opinion, make the biggest mistakes, especially like Indian parents are notoriously overprotective. It's a whole thing, and, they, and you don't want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, you're not helping them, you know? So I think, I, I guess the question is, it. On the one hand, it, it, it frustrates me to see, yes, that victim mentality. And you can see how it's being cultivated oh, yeah. and the entitlement world. And um, and it's it, it, it bothers me, but I also empathize with it because we are ultimately, if you're not conscious and aware, you're just a slave to your environment, right? And most of us are not conscious aware. Like Carl Jung says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And most of us are yes. slaves to that external thing. So to a certain degree, I think there's just empathy. And you can't, like, I learned this through a lot of that whole situation with my ex-wife. You can't help somebody if they're not. Like, it was a time in my life where I go out of my way to try to help. And at this point, if you come to me, I'll go out of my way. I'll walk through hell to help people who want to come to me. But if you don't and you're just going to stay in it, you'll, you have to endure it. Right. You're going to go through that. And when you hit rock bottom, maybe you'll get out of it. But you cannot help. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you cannot really help anybody. The biggest thing you can do is be a lighthouse. Like be the, like Gandhi said, right? Be the change you wish to see in the world. So I think it frustrates me, but more than that, also just I just empathize and I feel bad. But I think the, the other part of your question about how I'm so grateful and, and compassionate is because, you know, contrast is what gives life its flavor and its value. So when you play on all edges, you start to appreciate the, I mean, just this morning, I took a hot shower before coming here. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate every hot shower I take. It is just heavenly. I'm standing like, this is so awesome. You're like you know? taking it in, boy. This is about to disappear exactly. for a hundred years. Exactly. And it's still, and then driving over here, you know, I just got back to Arizona, so I'm looking at green again, because I was an empty white nothingness. I'm looking at the desert terrain, coming here, being invited here. I'm about catching up with my friends tomorrow, and it just feels, because I experienced isolation, because I experienced cold, because I experienced Arctic. Now I come back to this and the amplification of that gratitude and it's visceral. It's not just like I feel grateful. It's I am viscerally appreciative of everything because you know how precious it is. You know it could be gone. 
And one of the spiritual downloads I had on the ice uh, when I was skiing just now, it hit me in a very visceral way how I was skiing, and actually kind of crazy part is this shift, I, maybe five hours into the day, I was going to put on my music, and three times I turned on my iPod, and three times it died. I'm like, this is what, come on, I want to listen to music. And then I was like, all right, fuck it, I can't listen to music this shift. And it was like something was telling me that shift, you shouldn't listen to music. And that shift, it hit me in a very profound way that every day I wake up, whether it be on ice or here, that version of me in that morning is never existing ever again. That version of me is dead. So every day, it's not so much like every day live, live it like your last, because otherwise we wouldn't do the hard things sometimes. Right. It's more like live every day as if this is your entire lifetime. I will be dead. This And even the memory of this, like I have a memory of who I was this morning, but and I go deep into this in the fear of honor, so I won't go into the neuroscience of it, but memories are malleable. They're fake. We Our memories lie to us all the time. So when I take that into account with the fact that this moment is gone forever, this version of me is dead. And every day I am dying and I am reborn. And when I think about that, that I have to, this whole day is a whole lifetime, it changes the way you experience and want to live. I mean, I'm not perfect at doing this every day in the normal world, but every time I, even that consciousness of that steps in, mm -hmm. it just amplifies how you live your life. And it makes you appreciate everything so much more. And the other spiritual download that hit like the next day was I was skiing in very tough conditions. The snow was really soft and it had just been two days in this brutal polar storm and going up and down the soft snow. And I, as I was doing this, I, it started hitting me and I kept saying, thank you God for these perfect conditions. And it hit me that the conditions couldn't be anything other than what they were. And because the conditions are exactly what they are, they are perfect. And the only thing taking, taking me away from the, taking us away from the perfection of each moment is our own stuff, mm. is our own constructs. And it doesn't mean you fight to create a new reality, but for what we can control, everything is purely perfect because it cannot be anything other than what it is. Right. And when you live that way again, you appreciate just, this is perfect. This is absolutely beautiful. And I think that's what helps cultivate a deep sense of visceral gratitude in everything, whether it be the people in my life, the experiences that I have. I mean, coming back into having a home, it was a lot nicer sleeping in a bed than a cold tent, you know? So, right. so I was like, this is sweet. I got a warm bed. <laughs> do, do, you, do you ever doubt your decisions since you've made it so public and say, wow, you know, I mean, uh, I'm sh maybe you do, maybe you don't. I have no idea. I don't doubt that. I mean, I have moments on ice where I'm like, fuck, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Like you're just going through. I don't doubt that, but every time I come back from expedition, immediately I know that I'm going back, you know? So it's never, so I think that's part of it. You Like everything worthwhile doing, I've had a moment where I'm like, this really sucks and I don't want to do it. So that's part of it. But I don't doubt the decision, but I did have a bit of doubt in my ability to do the thing mm -hmm. that the Arctic tilt a trip helped crush that doubt because there's a difference between knowing and thinking if you think you can do something that's a construct that's a conceptual thought that has a layer above it knowing is just is knowing is visceral knowing is not a thought it's a way of being and it's not like there's a thing you have to do to get to knowing it's not like it's a magical x but as you get on the journey something happens that is shift from a thought that i think i can do this to i know i can yeah Yes. It's like a presence. Exactly. It like it just changes. I mean, I feel like, it, it, I don't know if anybody else will notice it, but the person I'm looking at in the mirror today is different than how it was three months ago in the, when, before I left for the Arctic. And it'll be different after Antarctica. So but that, that's a result of the shift in, the, in that knowingness. Yeah. But that comes from doing the work, doing the things that we're talking about, you know? Do, so do you, uh, do you think of yourself, because some people are goal setters, other people are problem solvers, right? Some people that have problems setting goals or don't set goals, 
they that are in the entrepreneurial world, which is mostly the world I understand, mm -hmm. um, they solve problems. They're just looking for problems to solve. Other people, they set goals, right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of a of a mix on how mm -hmm. uh, people perceive different ways of going through life. Uh, what do you when you go a month past this successful expedition, if you do it, right, if you accomplish it, where do you see yourself being? Do you even think of it that way or are you just like, that's not where I'm at, I'm just doing it? I have a sense of the things I want to focus on after this. Like I want to get back to focusing on the brand. I want to uh, focus on a relationship and a family and all that. But it's it's too far ahead right now to think, you know, I, again, I have a sense of what I want to do, but I'm not thinking that far ahead because this journey is just so big. And I mean, there's adventurers who think it's impossible to even do a human power crossing of Antarctica. So it's even considered impossible by many in the adventure world that I'm not thinking that far ahead. Gotcha. But I think it's a combination of like, this is the goal. But even on a larger scale, when I think about my life mission, the greatest problem that I think exists in the human condition is the problem of human suffering. Mm -hmm. It's the problem that we've been trapped, because again, you can have all the money in the world, as you know, or have zero, and you're still going to suffer. And how do we navigate that, I think, is the greatest problem in the human condition that is very much the essence of how I want to live my life. Like when I was in the darkness retreat, it came to me, the words I want written on my tombstone is, he brought light into darkness. So that's that's the problem I'm solving through my own journey and then sharing the wisdom to help others navigate there. That's, a, that's, that's really interesting considering what you're doing in the, in the that, that gives a whole other context to your <laughs> darkness retreats and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see if any of you have any questions as it relates to uh, this conversation in your life. And we'll start with yeah, Nick, Nick Peterson, the Nick Peterson. Yeah, I'm not the Douglas James, but <laughs> I'll get there. Um, a couple questions, which might lead to other questions. I love, first of all, so these are all Guardian Academy members, so we talk a lot about learned helplessness, which you touched on. Uh, I'd say the most used quote inside the Guardian Academy by me and the team is uh, by Virginia Satir. Are you familiar with? She's a pediatric psychologist. Uh, most prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. Mm. And it just, it explains yeah. so much. So I love you touching that, but more importantly, did you ask this girl on a date? I did, I expect. Did you say yes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I cannot tell you how anxious I was. It was terrifying. <laughs> did it go well? Did you go on a date? Uh, it's, yeah, it did go well. We right. met her in Norway and uh, yeah, it went well. Still navigating a lot of stuff now. For, yeah. My life is complex, so the things that I do. Yeah. You're a lot more nervous talking about girls than... Uh, than <laughs> oh, I can jam when I talk about suffering yeah. in Antarctica. Can we exactly. go on a movie again? You're on 110 days from now, maybe. <laughs> uh, so one, awesome, that's great, congrats. The question, one of the questions is, does that make it more difficult? Like knowing that you're going on this expedition and like, ah, oh, crap, I just met a girl. Like, is that actually something that you're like, ah, oh, you think about that? I do, um, a lot, and there's no, it, it is hard to navigate that because in some ways it's almost like unfair to put somebody through that. Mm -hmm. uh, and. I don't know after this, like I, I might tone down the nature of expeditions that I do. I don't see myself ever becoming somebody who doesn't do this stuff, but I, you know, you can do lighter stuff and not go out for 110 days. Uh, that option is available, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, but I do think about that and that, and it, like, it seems un, like right now my mind has to be on Antarctica and it can't be anywhere else. Yeah. I'm a very all or nothing person. So even in the emotional context, I get very all in into, uh, 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 into that. So 
I don't want to have somebody get too attached to me or vice versa because right now it's it seems unfair. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I was curious because there, there's a lot of uh, here and watching a lot of extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that's the kind of stuff that could spin you out, just relational stuff. Real oh, life relationship stuff. stuff messes with your head like anything else. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so all that, is there, do you have uh, like a oh shit in case of emergency break glass, like contingency plan when you're out on the ice? You, like, yeah, like last time I got evacuated when the frostbite hit. So worst case scenario, if something goes wrong, I will have a satellite phone. You can call for uh, evacuation. Now it depends if there's like a crazy storm, nobody's coming for days on end. Mm -hmm. And certain things, like if I lose my tent or I lose my down jacket, then you're dead and you're gone. But obviously I'm training to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, falling in crevasses is the thing that scares me the most. Because uh, if you fall in one, you're not getting rescued. Thankfully, crevasses are only kind of in one condensed area of Antarctica. It's not the whole journey. But rescue, there is rescue option uh, for pretty much the whole journey except that crevasse area. Have they given you, uh, so some people say it's impossible. Have you gotten like a, like a concrete answer on the probability that you finish this? I mean, even the, the head of, uh, so ALE is a company, Antarctica Logistics and Expeditions. They've, ma they've mapped out every expedition in modern history. The guy who runs the, ex the expedition manager has said anybody who attempts this will probably fail. Uh, <laughs> so it's, I mean, I recognize that the odds of failure, because covering that daily distance with a 400-pound sled, it's just, I mean, it's beyond brutal, that level of work, and doing that for 10, 12 hours a day. Well, I'm glad it's you, not me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's uh, this uh, yeah. throw one of the catch boxes over to, yeah. to whoever's raising their hand. We'll keep this one. And you might have talked about this, and I might have missed it. Can you go back to the day or days leading up? This could have been a year ago. It could have been, you know, five months ago. It could have been in 2007. But what led you to where you're at now, where you're like, I'm going to go do this 100-plus day journey? Was there... Was there a moment like when I've built anything that I've done, I can go back to certain moments in my life and say, oh, this was leading up to it, yeah. and actually it helps tell the story so other people can can feel like they're a part of it. Do you yeah. have that day or days leading up that is why we get to listen to you here with Joe and Cherie? Yeah, uh, it was it was an evolution getting, I mean, I got into outdoor sports after joining the Marines. Before the Marines, I was very heavily into drugs and alcohol. Got into the Marines, the Marines started to teach me the beauty of suffering. Marine Corps training was obviously hard. And so I started looking for other ways to challenge myself. And nature is a beautiful playground. Unlike the, in the Marines or going to war where you see the human capacity for evil, when nature is hostile, it's, it's not acting out of malice or intent. It's pure. It just is. So that was beautiful. And I got into every outdoor sport you could think of, scuba diving, skydiving, polar exploration, mountaineering. But what drew me into polar exploration was, I shared this last time, there's a quote from a famous polar explorer who says, Polar exploration is at once the most, the cleanest and most isolated way of having a bad time that has been devised. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I could not agree more. So I started doing polar expeditions. I did a one-month crossing of Greenland. And this is the last great polar journey that has not been accomplished. So as I got more into polar exploration and polar travel, this sort of in some way became the inevitable destination because it's the last great thing that hasn't been accomplished is a full coast-to-coast -coast crossing of Antarctica with no dogs or kites or machines. Uh, so I don't know if I remember specific, but actually, strangely enough, when I was in Iraq and I had never been on a polar journey before, I found this in my journal. I had gotten done outdoor sports, but not a big polar journey yet. I wrote in my journal that one day I want to do... Uh, 
never before accomplished expedition Antarctica. And I reread my, I don't remember writing that, I reread my journal somewhat recently and was kind of blown away that that wow. was even in there. Uh, but it was, I think, four years ago that I told a polar friend and kind of a polar mentor of mine that this is now the mission to do this, and it's taken a lot. I was originally supposed to do it last year, the frostbite happened, and so, you know, this, the timeline has kept changing. But I think it was just an evolution of getting into outdoor sports and finding the beauty in the, in the suffering that is polar travel that led to this. Can I, can I, when does this officially start now? How many days from now? I'm supposed to go out in October of this year. We're mm -hmm. still navigating, as you know, the fundraising element, as well as just ALE has to navigate the logistics mm -hmm. of uh, making this happen uh, is, is the two things we're right now making. You know, you know in the ski, so it's going to cost approximately 750000 is what you got budgeted for everything to do this. So now ALE, the most recent number they gave me was seven fifty to $1 million. Mm. So I don't, like, they're still figuring out, but I'm estimating $1 million max, seven fifty k. Yeah. You, you know what I actually find interesting? I've never thought of this contrast till just now, but I... Um, you know, we have one of our Genius Network members ran for, you know, it was a congresswoman and senator and uh, the first female combat fighter pilot in the U.S. Yeah, and yeah. she, and during her political campaign, uh, raised, I think, $76 million. And there's all these politicians and all these causes and all these movements uh, that raise millions of dollars. And a lot of them are for, for, for some of the most rotten humans on the planet. I mean, from my perspective, my opinion. And stuff that when it's all said and done, is it really going to push humanity forward or is it going to push humanity yeah, down, right? Yeah. And what you're doing uh, could, could so significantly, if parlayed in the right way, be such an inspirational encouragement for humanity. And I think all of us here in, in a, a lot of ways have an opportunity to put winds behind this sail uh, and to do something that could really significantly do it. So it's not just you doing the journey. Uh, it is it is another version of the four-minute mile, which is a hell of a lot more work than running a four-minute mile, because that was four minutes. You're taking, a, you're taking 110 days, right? And you're going to do something that has never, no human in recorded history has ever done before. And it seems to me that if, uh, if, if, if humans in, 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 in media had their, a head screwed on straight, which they often, from my again, my perspective, do not. This is a really important thing, and, and what could come out of it. So, what would you? What could we do as a community to help rally and get behind uh, and inform uh, to do this? Uh, not because I'm saying, hey, everybody, just throw money at Akshay because he wants to go do this crazy thing, but really, what is this thing that we could um, be a catalyst for? How could how could this be turned into something really significant that is uh, incredibly empowering for humanity? Well, thank you for asking. I mean, and that one one thing we're doing was we're creating a documentary around it. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't the intention originally, but the documentary crew heard, and so we're creating a documentary to tell this story because, like you mentioned, the four minute mile. When people expand their references of what's possible, it changes how they relate to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we want to tell this because everybody's got their own version of an Antarctic crossing. Everybody's got a polar storm that they're facing. And when we see somebody doing it at the very extreme level, we can touch people 
people's lives. And I've experienced that, right? People have heard the things I've done. Like one guy heard me at a talk and went and climbed, he did Everest Base Camp hike and lost a ton of weight after hearing the talk. So I think we can touch a lot of lives by spreading this message and, show, and sharing the lessons from this journey. So the documentary is one aspect. And then just spreading it through the fundraising, like thanks to your wisdom and counsel, and you know James and all our, the people who are helping, we're creating a crowdfunding campaign. Nick uh, can talk about what we're doing with NFTs to help raise funds to fund this crossing. And all of it will go to ALE to actually pay for this because it's, I mean, the reason it's so expensive is like that flight alone to the starting point is $250,000. You know, you're like flying to some of the most remote regions, multiple flights with fuel barrels. So uh, helping spread the word on, on that, we will have that ready in the next couple of weeks here. Um, Nick can talk more about it, how what we're doing with the NFT angle, but a crowdfunding page that we're looking to raise. I've put in, I mean, 300, 400, 500, I think close to almost half a million of my own, I think maybe three, four hundred thousand dollars of my own money and like everything I can, my heart, my soul, my finances is going to this. So anything to help and obviously it is like, yes, I'll be alone on the ice, but it has taken an army of people to even get me here. I mean, you saw a few of them on that sizzle reel. There's those guys are my family, Joe's, Cherie's helped a ton. Uh, and just, I mean, countless people, polar mentors, polar friends, more than I can even say in names that have that it takes to make this possible for one man to go along on the journey. But I do think it can be not just about me, but a four minute mile that helps transcend our collective consciousness on what's possible for the human spirit. Yeah, I love it, I love it. Uh, who has, uh, yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot earlier about Oh, stand up, actually. So we can see that we'll get some video. Thank you. <laughs> we talked a lot earlier about the value and the presence of a moment, right? The experience. And oftentimes, it's not the best experience that's the most valuable. It's knowing how to stay in the ones that aren't the best experience, right? So something that can be valuable for everyone is when you're in that oh shit moment, what method do you use to ground yourself, to bring yeah. yourself back? Because 110 days out in the middle of nowhere, it's very easy for one thought to avalanche into a million thoughts. Yeah. That makes you want to get out of it. So what do you do in those ocean moments to come back to that grounding presence to get yourself back into the place where you can make sound decisions and move forward? Yeah. So there's many tools. And one thing, just remind me, I'll share that same thing that I had, like the 25 weapons to navigate the pain cave. Uh, I can share that with you. You can share that with your tribe, like a PDF that I've throughout my running ultra marathons and like different ways to navigate it. But a um, few different tools. One of them is always remembering that I get to be here. Like, so even when I'm in the Arctic, it's a privilege that I get to experience that level of solitude. And I go back and I think about the people that I've seen. I've worked in post-conflict zones. I've worked with children who were survivors of sex trafficking, former child soldiers. And you see the hell that most human beings endure. Nothing I will do will ever come close to that. So like a deep sense of gratitude. In Latin, there's a phrase called a amor fati, which means love fate. It's easy to feel grateful when life is good, but can you love fate when it's not good? Right, so pure that that experience of pure gratitude. Sometimes what I do is I go deeper into the pain cave. So when I'm in pain, I'm actually like, <laughs> like what I, one of my weapons to navigate it is. I will I will literally say this out loud when I did that 50 mile run around the cul-de-sac. I was sharing this that I, I was saying to myself, talking out loud, I want the devil himself to rise out of hell in an attempt to destroy my soul, so I can look that motherfucker in the eye and bury him in his own blood. So I'm like, bring on as much as you can throw at me, because I know that the greater your demons, the greater the divinity required to rise above. 
above them. So suffering is an opportunity for transcendence. Like to me, suffering is a training ground for self-transcendence. So bring on whatever the fuck you can throw at me and I'm gonna smile at this. This is my opportunity, right? And then sometimes, paradoxically, the exact opposite, I'm escaping it. Like I don't, I don't wanna be in it, so I'll listen to positive music. So the thing is, even though they seem like opposites, all these different weapons to navigate the pain cave, they all have their place. And the more you play in that arena, the more you will know which weapon you need at different times. So you were talking about how when you do cold tubs, it's just like sort of being meditative, being very present. You know, So one way to bring present is bring yourself back into the senses. So I'll think about my hands holding the ski poles. You know, I'll think about my feet moving uh, uh, in the skis. Think about what I see, if I see anything. Sometimes if it's a whiteout, you don't. Uh, but those are a few different tools to, to navigate it. And there's like a series more that I'll share with you all after this, just remind me. Um, but those are some some ways. I think the recognizing gratitude is one of the more powerful. And then also like tapping into like to me, it's like you're being a, a represented a repre you're representing humanity at its finest here. You know, if if you if you quit now, what are you saying about the human spirit? You know, so tapping into that, like you're showing what the human spirit is capable of. So what are you saying about it if you if you quit? If you if you be weak? You know, if you if you show that weakness, and then tapping into God as well like remembering that this moment is an experience of God. You know, like they always say, there's no atheists in foxholes. When do we come closest to God? When we're in the depths of pain, when we're tapping into, and we all have our own version of what that word means, but when we're in the depths of pain is when we come closest to it. So whenever I'm in that hell, I recognize that this is my opportunity to come closest to God, and very often it is. Like the things I hear, the, the, the spiritual downloads, the, you know, it's in that when you're in the deepest hell. Yeah. I have a question for you. I want you to define this word balance. So according to Akshay, balance is? Uh, I, I think there's two ways to cultivate balance. Balance on the one hand is I'm gonna try to balance between let's say the work-life balance that we know and try to find a way to have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The other way is going absolutely all out in one way and then doing it for a certain chunk of time and then going all out the other way. And I think if you do that to find balance, you're actually gonna find a greater level of peace because the other way, we all heard like the myth of work-life balance, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. So just go ham, go all out. Like in this phase of my life, Antarctica is my world, it's my soul. That's what you know? I'm hearing from you, yeah. it's just like, Balance is going all in, 100 exactly. percent in this, then shifting. Exactly. So if you think of like a wing scale, imagine yep. having like 10 pounds on each wing scale. It's balanced, right? But another way to think about it is, if I put 20 pounds on this side, this will dominate. But then if I move 20 pounds to this side, you know, over a time period, they're equal. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah. So just go ham into one edge. Yeah. And you're you're gonna discover so much more. By Great doing perspective. That. Good. Was there someone online that had a question? No, no, no. I think we're we were doing something. Okay. Uh, okay, and then I think, did, was it you guys over there? Okay, Douglas, oh, go, go. This is great. Um, how did you assemble your team? It has been uh, built over the years, you know, so you meet one person and then uh, I'm just, yeah, I feel very, very blessed the amount of people who are coming on board to support this. And um, I've met a few friends at events that have become like family and they're just some of the greatest people. So coming to events like this is a great way to have met people. Uh, and then they will introduce you. You know what, my, my dad has a good leader, a definition of leadership is the ability to effectively articulate a compelling vision. So I think when you have a vision that transcends you, 
and it helps inspire people to come on board. And I'm very blessed to have some of the greatest people who are helping me in every capacity. Uh, but I've met them through events and then, you know, telling. And you also got to be willing to share it, like announce it, share it, you know. So then people, people don't know. Nobody can help. Uh, and if you put yourself in rooms like this with good people, they'll want to help. And then, you know, it becomes something that's greater than the sum of each individual part, if that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? Uh, this is super gnarly. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Really looking forward to the end of the journey here with you. Um, Are you going on the journey? hiding your bag. You can hang out in the sled. I'll drag you along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just. <clears throat> There's like fear and all this, uh, people get in their own way like all the time with everything, right? And I've heard so many and learned from so many personal development coaches, you know, and uh, it's always like you want to sell people what they want, but then give them what they need, you know, and what they need is to help them get out of their own way and recognize their own, you know, mind frame, right? And give them a better framework to go forward. So I'm just kind of curious to know from you where do you plan, like, say if this all works out, or say if it doesn't work out, but you're alive and you come back, like, you make it through, right? How are you going to position this? Because this is, a, like I said, a pretty gnarly thing that you're doing. No one's ever done it, right? So the amount of attention, media, exposure, the things that are going to come after October or after January, February, when you get back, how are you preparing for that? And, like, I'm just kind of curious to know from the business side and the media side, like, have you thought, or has your team talked to you about what that was going to, what that would look like? Like, what type of business model were you going to get into next on how to spread your word and impact the message? So, in terms of the business side, like with Fearvana, we're building. The goal is to kind of create this whole ecosystem of products and services, similar to kind of a Virgin model, but we're not trying to get into like air travel, really staying in the space of, or any of that stuff. It's in the mental and spiritual well-being. So we have like, well, that shirt I was wearing earlier, like Fearvana clothing line, Fearvana supplements, Fearvana fuels. A Fearvana airline would be very interesting. The people that jump on that flight are like, yeah. We'll hook them up with a new fit the whole flight. No, the current, the current airline industry motto is, uh, no, you know, guess. we're not happy till you're not happy. This will be the whole exactly. new one. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. So, get no, the, no, all no the, so the, no you got worries. the t-shirts, you got all the... Yeah, supplement line, like Fearvana, like I'm hosting a retreat later uh, this year, co-hosting with somebody, but potentially a Fearvana retreats. Uh, long term, I have a vision, too, to get into more like the tech space where we create a sort of using augmented reality to create like a Fearvana journeys platform to help people walk their own hero's journey using some of the method methodologies and and uh, and frameworks in the Fearvana universe that like leveraging technology to help people walk their own hero's journey. You know, so I I consider myself an adventurer first, entrepreneur second for sure. So more like Richard Branson, I'll be the face of the brand doing the crazy things that I do. I don't know what the hell will come up after Antarctica. Uh, nobody's ever tried a winter expedition in Antarctica, so who knows? But uh, <laughs> uh, but we'll see where the road takes me on that front. But I definitely want to like again build an army of people again to to run the different arms and and help people walk their own version of Antarctica is kind of the, the vision for how I want to do it business-wise. But I have to say like one thing to your point about everybody's navigating their own fear. One key thing I would say even right now is I think the great, one of the greatest human fears that people don't, wouldn't necessarily say is a human fear is stillness. And I think if there's one thing that people could do is spend time, like lock yourself in a dark closet for 30 minutes. 
you don't have to go on a 10-day dark retreat, you know? Start there is something I would really encourage people. And it's extremely hard. Like, people will freak out after sometimes five minutes in meditation, you know? But start there is kind of where I want would encourage people to do. And, you know, we've all heard, like, cold tubs. There's many ways to go push yourself in, uh, in suffering. But stillness is a very different kind that sometimes is even harder than doing, like, the hard workout or something. So that's where I would just at least right now start and then... We want to grow the business after that. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting too because I think uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity here, not only with new businesses and there's a lot of ingredients here that every single person can use just for their own personal motivation. Like as an example, I get into cold plunges almost daily. Um, and so Sheree was in a cold plunge earlier this morning. I just did a sauna. I didn't have enough time. I had to get over here. But I, I did work out right before I came here and all this stuff. And there are days where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do any of this shit. And I, you sent me via text your recent getting in, in the Antarctica into the frozen. I mean, it is like, and you go completely underwater in between two slabs of ice and you're out bare. And, and, and I mean, it's freezing. It's minus 18 degrees outside. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like going, I am not bitching about anything. Today. I mean, like, you know, and, 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 cause it just, and, and I literally went and just did something that I would not have done had I not seen a yes. freaking one minute video clip. Yes. And if you just take that little piece of information and you use it, as like a North Star, or you use it as just a reminder, you use it as a motivator, you use it as a perspective. You know, there, there's so much of that stuff, and it's funny you say about Virgin, because, you know, I became Richard Branson's largest fundraiser. I've interviewed Richard probably more than anyone. I've spent six weeks of my life on Necker Island. Most of those days were breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day with Richard. I've gone out on, you know, just freaking, uh, you know, boats with just me and Richard. You know, I mean, so I, I spent a lot of time with him. You articulate more things about how to do stuff in 30 minutes than he, it would take him 10 hours to do. He's a very bright guy. He's just an intuitive entrepreneur. He doesn't explain quite how he does what he does. And so you have, you know, most people are enamored with Richard Branson because of the Virgin brand and everything. But it's like, you know, you have the ability to really inspire, like you're 25 uh, what 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 are they called? Uh, weapons. Le weapons. Yes, I, I was thinking in my mind. Lessons. Those they're amazing. I mean, they are they are amazing. And 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 every human can learn something really valuable from them. And some of them contradict, you know, each other. But you explain why. And so they're you know I I, I look at like people are always looking for, you know, how to be successful. What is success? And I have this sort of notion like. Success is different for each person. You know, it's not my job. How, how am I going to tell anyone what's successful? I mean, you could say successful is like winning a sports game and if you hit this score. I mean, that, that's different than like saying I'm a successful human because I made a lot of money or because I won this title or, or whatever. So I think success is an individual thing. And I think the way that you are doing stuff, every single human can contrast some form of betterment through a mirror that you're putting up for them to look at. And I and I and so I want to invite everyone to really go, like your book is incredible. It is really a great book. And uh, so I would encourage everyone to read this and I would like this video uh, I would like, we're recording this. I'd like to actually share this as a video and you guys share this and have your own perspective and take on it. And I would almost love, how many here in the room do podcasts? 
uh, or do any sort of interviews or YouTube channel or social media. Yeah, I would almost say take parts of what he's saying and just show a clip of it and then say, here's my thought about this. What do you think about it? So this is not just a conversation with you know me, Dr. Ong, and Akshay. It becomes a conversation that we put out into the world and we ask people to dialogue with it. This, I don't want this to be a monologue. I want it to be a dialogue. And I want your journey to be like a, you know, not a uh, an event that happened once. I want it yeah. to be something that is a domino. You know, we have a big giant domino here. And I, I always think of, you know, what are the people, what are the books, what are the relationships, what are the situations, what are the methodologies, the strategies, the experiences I've had as a human that have had a domino effect on my life. And there's some that have been very negative and there's some that have been very positive. And I think the people that become some of the greatest dominoes for other people, it actually, because of what is the negative dominoes, their life, that force it. I mean, the whole story of, uh, you have to tell this because it's, it's often looked at, I mean, I see people like, what? Uh, but at the same time, the lesson behind it, you, you know, the picture of your buddy who uh, died and you having the picture and reminding you, can you tell how sure. you interact? Yeah. Because it's, for some people it, it will come across as like, wow, that's really dark, but your your ability to transform, you know, suffering and pain into productivity, I think yeah. it's quite fascinating. Yeah. You know, when I came back from Iraq, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and I struggled with survivor's guilt from losing my friend in the war. And I, to this day, there's a big part of me that believes it should have been me that died instead of him. And what I started to learn was these things that were, that I was, that they were labeling me with disorder. Like I was also very hypervigilant of loud noises. I didn't like being in crowds. And I sort of started going down my rabbit hole of research. Like this wasn't a disorder. It was a very normal response to war. You know, I spent seven months where loud noises equals death. Inevitably, I'm going to be hypervigilant. Survivor's guilt. Everybody said, don't feel guilty. Rationally, I got it, right? Like war, you can't control what happens. Bullets fly where they fly. But emotionally, that guilt was an expression of love. You know, it's not a bad emotion. So what I did was I put a picture of my friend up on my wall and it said, this should have been you. Earn this life. And it was right next to my bed. I would see it every day when I wake up. And my guilt became my ally. My guilt became my fuel. To this day, you know, I was telling him over there that I had a conversation in the darkness with God that left me bawling in tears. And it was like, I believe I owe a debt for this life. And people have told me, like, that's, uh, you shouldn't, like, that's dark. It's not healthy to look at it. And it's not like each one have our own paradigms and constructs of how we operate in the world. But the darkness we feel, like many people, and I can even share this. I was working with a friend of mine who had been navig gone through some real trauma. And we had, like, before, <laughs> before I say what I say, she was ready to go here. Like, we'd done a lot of work. And she'd gone through this horrific childhood trauma. And I said to her, what if you deserved what you went through? And she goes, whoa. Because, I mean, who would tell her that you deserve this horrific thing you went through? But she asked her, did some part of you feel like you deserved it? She said, yes. Did some part of you feel guilty for it? She said, yes. I said, good, go there. You're feeling it. Everybody says you don't deserve it, right? You shouldn't feel guilty. But if you're feeling it, go there. Like, let that, let that darkness have its voice. Okay, what, what does that mean about God? What does that mean about humanity? What does that mean about me? That night, she sent me a text saying, fuck you, Akshay because she went into a very dark space. But the next day, she shared with her husband for, for 25 years for the first time what actually went, hap what happened in the trauma. 
So you have to give that darkness its voice. That guilt became my ally, and it was a dark thing. It was an intense thing, but it's useful. You know that scene in Saving Private Ryan at the end where he says, Tom Hanks tells Matt Damon's character, earn this? I have that scene in my phone, and I watch it on the ice sometimes. To me, i got to earn this life. And again, it's, I'm not always in that space. Sometimes it's very light, and it's playful, and I'm just happy. Like, I'm literally listening to dance music and playing. But again, you have to find the different weapons. And sometimes, remembering that I have a debt to owe for this life that I've been gifted, I have to earn that shit is the most powerful weapon to get me through the hard times. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else? Any other questions, Shri? Anything you guys want to ask before we wrap up here? Yeah, and then we'll tell them. What's great about blockchain and anonymity, we can see what people are just without skin color or religion. Mm -hmm. and that. So, um, uh, seeing you out there and um, being a slave to my own community, uh, just uh, seeking more instead of seeking closer. I think uh, uh, changed my perspective in life that for you to uh, get out um, and be you, who you are, going after what you want, and letting everybody say, hey, you know what, this is who I am. Uh, and chasing the nirvana, going to cross the other, other side and, and bringing back that information to humanity, going to the darkness and bringing that light up. So thank you. Um, but my question is, how old are you? 38. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I just got a quick one. Are you aware of any? Uh, are you aware of any like physical, biological, permanent changes that may happen after you're done with this? Missing finger. I'll be missing too soon. Other than that, like I mean, to put yourself through this that level of stress, that yeah, stress, the the hormones. I mean, like the, the I'm I'm preparing for the readjustment when I'm back. Like I've heard polar explorers who do long journeys, they can't see straight for a few weeks because you're just seeing empty white nothingness. So your brain loses the ability to see contrast. So I, I'm pretty sure I'll be in horrible physical shape after I come back. My eyes will readjust. The mental adjustment will be kind of like coming back from war in a way. Uh, I, I have a little Wilson-like character that I speak to on the ice, you know, from Castaway. So my friends keep joking. They're like, dude, you're going to be so weird. When I come back, I'll be going on dates and having Wilson in my corner with me. So, uh, <laughs> so there'll be a readjustment in that sense, at least temporarily, that I'm preparing for. But as far as, like, permanent ones, I'm not sure. I mean, if I lose a few years of my life, to me, it's worth it. <laughs> but, uh, we went to the so either like a genius event or one of our events where we get back so we can only see firsthand. What? Exactly. I'll limp in with uh, a... <laughs> yeah. Wilson with you. I have yeah. Wilson with me actually in that backpack. You're going to make like a bunch you. of... Uh, you're going to make a whole bunch of... For Eunice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of little social media clips will come out of that one. Yeah. I'll just limp my way up yeah. here <laughs> with crutches. So. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the, uh, the project. How are you tying this all together? Yeah, so... Um, we chatted, you know, uh, Joe introduced us, uh, as he does. Um, and he's like, hey, we're doing this and this, and it was actually Joe's idea that said, hey, this is something we could do on blockchain. And the reason that I, I want to talk about this a little bit is there's blockchain. Howard knows blockchain really well. He's super bullish on blockchain. It's different than cryptocurrency. And he was like, can we do something on blockchain? Well, what are you already doing? That's the first question. Uh, 
and you know we're looking to maybe do seven hundred fifty thousand. Now it's a million. It'll probably keep going up. Hopefully. You know how it goes. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, I think we do something really cool with this because NFTs. Kevin's doing it a little bit with Dr. Wolf. What, what I like about NFTs is not that they're pictures that you can buy and then somebody else will buy them from you for more money. That's like a thing that happens sometimes, but it's really the provenance and the royalties. That's really the power in NFTs right now, in a non-fungible asset, whatever you want to call it, is provenance and royalties, meaning you can see on the blockchain forever who created it when it was created. It is proof that this is created by Akshay at this time on this block. It's an original and you can see everywhere it's been. And so typically with uh, anything that can be forged, like uh, high-end art, you know, the, the provenance can take months or years. When you get a painting, and, right? Have you ever had an issue with forgeries? Um, with, one of our artists has, yes. Yeah. So anything that can be forged or faked, especially in the art world, it could take months or years to figure out where it's been, how do, can we prove it was there? Is this an original? So I love the provenance. Uh, and then royalties. And Danny's list will be here. Maybe we'll talk about it. Is uh, people that do cool shit, especially they create cool stuff, you can code into the, into the blockchain that when it changes hands and it becomes popular and people are selling it, uh, the royalties are going back to wherever the creator designates that they go. And that should, in theory, incentivize people to continue to create better instead of, you know, like Ticketmaster taking all the all the profits. So I think about any project that people do stuff in the real world, I think is there, is there utility in provenance and is there utility in royalties? That's the main thing. Uh, so as we're talking, it was like, huh, you're already doing this, you have a really cool setup where, are you, are you a $3 minimum? Yeah, to $3 yeah. Is equals one meter on the ice. Yeah, so yeah. $3 is one meter on the ice. So they're setting up this whole uh, crowd crowdsourcing, I don't know if you're using whatever software you're using. But they already have all these tiers and these deliverables. So it's really, really simple. Uh, everybody wants to be more complicated. It was like, let's just echo this structure on the blockchain for the people that know how to navigate the blockchain. Uh, they will also get, so you guys know how a mint works. You go, yeah, I mint this for $3 or $6 or $9 or whatever. Um, you push the button, you're creating the art. So if you guys, that's what I think is cool about the mints is you're actually creating something that did not exist before, but you also have proof of ownership. So if there's a ton of media and he becomes hyper famous, you'd be like, yeah, I contributed to that. Here's my proof. Now some people are gonna value that, some people won't. So they can still donate through credit card or ACH or whatever. So for the small segment of people that value the uh, the provenance, like yeah, here's, Here's non-fungible proof. I knew this guy before you did. Look, I, I, I put $3 into his thing, and there is a non-zero probability that those do become really valuable. It's kind of a, a plus, you know, plus something. So we were talking about it, and uh, I'll, I'll show you the art in a minute. But that it's really simple like that. It's just, hey, here's the page. Your team's setting it up. Really easy for us. Uh, Gray Wolf Labs, we're just going to kind of piggyback off of that. So if you want a collectible. If you want a collectible on the blockchain, get it right here. And what I'm thinking about doing, and we'll dial in the details, is I'm thinking about doing uh, an open mint until it's funded. So whenever we have that number, you know, you have, and you say, hey, we funded it, we close the mint. And so there will be that many of these NFTs in the world and only that many ever. 
So there's a little bit, you know, I don't know, maybe there's 40 of them, maybe there's a thousand of them, but it will be a super limited uh, collector's item. Like really, you were, you were here at the ground floor and you, you have proof. And uh, obviously the royalties can go to, if you turn around and sell it, then the royalties can go to funding whatever, Genius Recovery or uh, uh, documentary and, and all that stuff. So that's what we're doing. Super straightforward, I'll share, just because I know a lot of people are trying to build on blockchain and they, they always make the mistake of trying to do something new. It's very expensive to do something new. It's very risky to do something new. There are a lot of ways, uh, uh, Recovery Punks is similar, where we can utilize blockchain technology in a way that actually benefits what you're already doing without taking on more risk, more time, more effort, all that stuff. So I'll, I'll share, do you mind if I share the art? Okay. So I'll share the art he sent over, but first, the Guardian Academy, it is really difficult to become a Guardian these days. How many have gone through the whole process? It's pretty difficult to become a Guardian. It requires a significant amount of contribution, a significant amount of time. Joe Polish was our first honorary Guardian because he's just shown up and he's clearly contributed. He, he introduced us to Akshay. And uh, also, since he just is here and helpful human being. Uh, Akshay, you are our, we had Joe first, we had Dr. Jeff Spencer, and we had Andre Norman. And now we have Akshay Nanavanti as an honorary guardian. So welcome to come to any of our events, and uh, obviously they'll tell you once you become a guardian, you get a significant amount of support from, I think there's 113, 112 guardians. And so some of them are watching, some will catch this replay. And uh, what you did was you sent me 50 custom wow. images. You want to just click through them? And you made these with uh, Midjourney? Yeah. Or what kind of prompting were you using? Uh, took me a little while to kind of figure out the prompting. I was very new to this world. Uh, so I have a friend who was a little more familiar with, with Midjourney who was kind of guiding me to, I was doing it under the exploration adventure theme and thinking about like what are the different areas I've played in, like caves, mountains, this is Arizona, you know, and then coming up with, uh, that was Galapagos, uh, like, man, ice, kiving, ice, ice climbing or, you know, standing in front of a volcano and then just exploring further. Or like in that case, you know, exhausted man standing in Arizona desert after a hike or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, just thinking about my moments that I've done and, to, and then naming them too. Like, and then we came up with the one-liners yeah. that Brandon, kind of fit will you each, pull up the audios? Uh, that fit each one. Uh, so you'll see each, uh, there's 50 different pieces of art and each one will have an audio clip that has yeah that was wild I don't think that's how it was try another one yeah we don't care about the zoom zoomers they're less important yeah I don't know it's that's right and my friend had that idea to say, why don't you do add audio onto it? So I was like, sure. That's it. I didn't, yeah. So. so we'll have these really cool collectibles. Each audio is named, uh, like the audio and the, the image have the same name. So each image has an audio that goes with it. And the audios were what inspired the audios? It's kind of different, like one short one-liners that summarize the the philosophy of uh, that has been developed through all my life experiences, like some of the things I was sharing, like one of them is, um, you know, the, uh, what was I saying earlier? Yeah, when you seek out a suffering of the spirit, you'll find salvation of the soul. You know, so different kind of... I don't know why this is echoing. 
or if you don't yeah. seek out a worthy struggle, the struggle will find you anyway. You know, different kind of like catchphrases that uh, that represent the philosophy of everything I'm talking about in Fearvana. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll we'll be rolling that out. I'm just gonna wait for your marketing team. Yes. And we're just gonna I'll piggyback. Back. Really simple. We're just gonna put up the uh, NFTs. Is that the pursuit of it leads to greater struggle, but the pursuit of a worthy struggle leads to happiness as a side effect. So the starting point of that was the paradox of happiness is yeah. that yeah. the paradox of happiness is that the pursuit of it leads to greater struggle, but the pursuit of a worthy struggle leads to happiness as a side effect. So different so, stuff like that. Yeah. And then obviously it can be explained further. Very cool. Do one more real quick, just selfishly I want to hear one more. <laughs> Put it up to the mic on street. To the world and wander. There you, you find the nectar there. of life and the essence of the human soul. Beautiful. So you Pretty see good. we're creating these little collectibles and, and Grey Wolf, Grey Wolf Labs, Garden Academy, it's really about supporting extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that's how we, uh, that's how we take the blockchain, right? And we say, hey, look here, there's, there's actually value here. In the real world, you can use this technology in a way that, like we're doing good. It's not, again, it's not buy a coin and cross yeah. your fingers. And so, uh, one, it's a pleasure and honor to support extraordinary people like everybody sitting up here. Sheree, if you want to do some stuff on the blockchain, let us know. We do little like, never mind. <laughs> Talk about it. Not, I don't have a hot, hot mic here. Well, well, I'm trying to figure out the the best way to to to, to tie something to together without sounding incredibly crude. So we got, you know, one of the top vaginal plastic surgeons in the world. You're getting ready to. Uh, take an expedition across the um, Antarctica and do something that no human in recorded history has ever done. Um, I think there's a, I think, you know, asking someone out on a date is like the world for you, <laughs> for the guy that started Fearvana. <laughs> and, uh, you know, life is, uh, life is pretty damn interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so that being said, um, any famous last words that you would like to because uh, this may be the last time you have a chance to publicly address people until we see you after the expedition. Hopefully, you will survive, oh, and you well. will—you uh, know—you will encounter this thing. So, what what final words of, uh, of 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 wisdom, advice, suggestions, or encouragement would you offer to everyone here as they encounter fears and challenges and difficulties every single day? I think I'll summarize with the words from Viktor Frankl, wiser man than myself, who said, self-actualization um, self self is the side effect of self-transcendence. What I mean by that is if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everybody here, as we talked about, is seeking some version of self-actualization. The greatest thing you can do on that journey is transcend yourself. And that means transcend yourself for something greater, someone else, but also transcending yourself for yourself. You know, I, I stumbled into a quote from Michelangelo just yesterday. He said, Lord, um, Lord, free me from myself so that I may please you. And what that means to me, there's many ways to interpret it, is like I kind of turned it into my own version of, like, Lord, free me from myself so I can be you, like be my own Buddha. So to transcend our own thoughts, our own feelings for the higher version of ourself. So train in that. That comes from stillness, that comes from suffering. Like I said, suffering to me is a training ground for self-transcendence. And self-transcendence is the, is the is, or self-actualization is the side effect of self-transcendence. I think just play transcending for, for someone else, for something else, and for yourself. Love it. And real quickly, I want to try this. It may work, it may not. 
If you had to summarize into one word that you got from hearing him today, if you had to pick one word, let's real quickly go through and just share what's the first word that comes to mind that you got out of um, uh, out of listening to uh, our conversation with Akshay. Start with Nick. One word. Ballsy. Ballsy. Endure. Gratitude. Focus or choice? No reaction. Transcend. Resilience. Stillness. Um, fear. Fear. Inspiring. Listen. Freak. <laughs> Courage. Visceral. What was yours? Visceral. Visceral, okay. You could hear it especially when you said it again. <laughs> Knowing. Live. Struggle. Fearless. Opportunity. Raw. Anything for you, Sheree? Learning. Learning. I just oh, say courage. Sorry. Courage. So, you're awesome, dude. Awesome. We're all here wishing yeah. you the support and the best. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, so here's what I want to do really quick is uh, you got your one word. Uh, Six-word update. Write down a six-word update. If you don't know what a six-word update is, it's just summarizing something Aww. that you've learned or something that you thought in six words. Try to tell a story beginning, middle, end. It just forces you to you know, be concise about your takeaways.